Well, if you would go in your Bibles with me to 1 John, and starting a new chapter this morning, chapter 4, and I had focused on verses 1 through 6 and trying to get us through that this morning, but kind of, read out of ran out of time, and so whatever the Lord intends is what we'll cover today, but we'll probably be focusing mostly on verses 1 through 4. Uh, Ray will be bringing the teaching over the next couple of Sundays, and I will uh, be preparing for a trip to Tanzania here soon. Uh, I will leave on the 9th, but there's some presentations that I'm responsible for giving there, uh, courses on bibliology, so if y'all could be in prayer about that, but I'm very appreciative and thankful to God for those who step in and can fill, uh, fill in with the teachings uh, here at this church. So this morning uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, but then confine the teaching more to verses 1 through 4. So if you're there with me, First John, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. God, we pray that as you guide us into your teaching, into your truth this morning, that this would be what penetrates our hearts, God, and guides us to discern what things are of truth of your Holy Spirit and what things are in error. We look to your word to be the influence and the light that guides us along this Christian walk, this path that we have before us as individuals, Lord, and collectively as your bride, the church. And we want to be faithful to it this morning. We want to divide it rightly, and we want to do it in a way that honors and glorifies you, God, in everything that we do. May we bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, here we have a very stern warning from John about false prophets and that as believers how we must be alert, alert to the deception, alert to the lies, alert to the influences that would try to draw us away from God's truth. So after John has told us about God's commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, John now tells us not to believe in everything that we hear, not to believe everyone who calls themselves a teacher or a prophet. And he addresses the beloved, and we've looked at this word quite a bit. We know that this means that John is addressing those who are children of God, those who believe in him and have a saving relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. These are the true Christians that have gone through the test of whether the love that we we talked about for the last couple of Sundays, whether it is real or not, whether that faith that we possess in Christ has passed the test and that we are then proven as God's children. And John gives them and gives us a commandment and says, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. 
Because there are going to be many lies and those who tell lies and those who will attempt to distort the truth. They're out there in this world and they or we are not to believe in them, are not to be guided astray by them, not to believe every spirit and the every spirit that John refers to here is in lowercase. So this is not him talking about the Holy Spirit, but these are spirits, influential influences of evil, and there is a power that is backing them. And this is not to be confused with the Holy Spirit, but spirits that are of error. And that's how he defines them in verse 6 of what we read. They are spirit of error, spirits whose purpose is to distort the truth and lead others into error. And I believe what we have in view here are false prophets or false teachers. I believe that is what John was dealing with in his writing of this letter. And even in today's, how it's influencing us and our understanding and our view of the world around us and what we need to view the world through. I hope we understand that to be the lens of Scripture, and we will get into more of that as we go through this together. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And again, this is not the Holy Spirit that he is talking about, the Holy Spirit being singular. Uh, These are other spirits in the world who influence and attempt to deceive. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Paul says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So Paul too has this warning and refers to these evil influences and the power behind false prophets as those who are deceitful spirits, lowercase spirit, and plural as well. Scripture tells us that some will follow after these deceitful spirits. We have seen earlier in John where he describes those that we assume to be of the faith, those still today that we assume to be of the faith. They are in our churches, but then they may leave us and leave us for the wrong reasons is what I'm referring to here. In 1 John chapter 2, you don't have to go back very far to see what I'm referring to. John says there, there were those that they went out from us But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Those that were drawn away, those that were deceived by spirits of error, liars who have departed from the truth. And it's been very clear to us in the letter of John that there are two distinctions. There is either that that is true or that that is lies that that is darkness and that that is light, what is evil and and what is good. And if it's good and if it's truth, if it's light, then we can know that it is backed by the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, Holy Spirit, of which there is only one of. This is seen in verse 2 when John begins to set up the test of these spirits here in just a moment. But he says, of God's spirit, by this you know the spirit of God. There is a way to know the spirit of God. There is a way to know the spirits that are the spirits of error. So here we have the singular spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead as we understand it. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit of God, he is singular. And there is only one Holy Spirit And we know that this Holy Spirit is truth. And we've seen references to that already last uh, Sunday when we looked at John chapter 14, verse 17. You can refer to it again because it says, Even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus' words promising this Holy Spirit that would come to us, the, that the, the triune Godhead would dwell within by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life and the one who knows him. And that's some of the teaching that um, Stephen just brought to the children here. John chapter fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We can know that the Holy Spirit will not teach us error, will only lead us into truth, will only teach us truth. There are many, though, that will pose as a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I believe John is referring to, the spirits with a lowercase s, the spirit of error, just like those who would claim to be a Christ, that would claim to be uh, the, the Christ and actually be the Antichrist. But the Holy Spirit will always speak the truth. But in contrast to this will be the spirit or the spirits of error. And I believe those are the false prophets who are influenced by these spirits, someone who is looked to as a kind of authority on spiritual matters who people trust in, who people listen to, someone whose words people will even act upon. And many of the commentators I looked at held the view that behind every false teacher is an evil spirit that is promoting the errors that they teach. And that's, that's commentators' words, or that's their, their assumption here. And um, I wasn't able to find some just firm scriptural support for that assumption, so just you know, take it with that. But I can see why this would be assumed, why we could assume this, and perhaps that's based on what we read in the test part of this passage that John writes where he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So if they are not from God, who are they from? Well, they're children of the world. Uh, They're influenced by those who are uh, spirits of evil or these forces behind their words that are attached to these spirits, spirits of lies and deception. And my thought, though, is this is just my thought, okay? Again, Owen's commentary, I guess, if you want to call it that, that there are some that the enemy doesn't really need to influence with error because they are already in it. They're already caught up and lost in that error. So in a sense, they even become that spirit of error, if you will. There are some who probably know that there is a demonic force and influence behind their words, and so they use that intentionally uh, with their propagation of lies, just as we want to be intentional with our declaring of the truth. They want to be very intentional about their declaring lies and deception and trying to steer people away from true faith in Jesus Christ. And there are most likely more that don't even realize that the power that is influencing their messages are these spirits of error, that they are just playing along ignorantly, not really knowing that their words are being used by these spiritual forces of evil to draw people away from truth and into error. And we are always to trust the Holy Spirit, but should never believe in an unholy spirit. And John warns us that there are many of them. There are many lowercase spirits. I used to believe that I could just turn on the television and if anything came on these Christian channels that called themselves a Christian message or uh, pretended to say that they had a message from God, that I would just ignorantly trust in that because, hey, it's on a Christian news station. 
Or, hey, that, that song's truth because it's, it's played on K-Love and just kind of go along with the flow, not having a good understanding of what the Scripture teaches about the enemy and his deception. Is he could really dress himself up to look like something that's really good, but behind it all is lies and deception. And all you have to do is distort the truth just a little for it not to be the truth. Just because someone who claims to be a prophet or teacher and uses the language of the Bible, maybe you know, saying things of God, saying things of Jesus, it does not mean that they are a true child of God. A true prophet in the sense of one who speaks forth God's word, uh, there will be many who will profess to believe in Christ, and yet they will believe in another Jesus altogether. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul is, you know, wanting to protect the flock, being that, that under-shepherd of Christ and seeing the body and wanting to bring them before God and present them as that pure virgin to Christ. And yet he's seeing that there are those who are starting to be drawn away by this error. And his intent is to instill that truth continually in them, continue to teach them the truth, that pure devotion to Christ. But even so, there are those that are being led astray and into error. And he likens it back to the, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Who was that serpent? He was our adversary. He was, he was Satan. And he has many that work for him, many demons that influence people's words in order to try and draw people astray. And therefore, we are to test and we are to uh, discern the difference between what is error and what is truth. And we're continually called to do that and we are commanded to do that in Scripture. As the beloved, we are to be cautious about what and who we trust when it comes to our spiritual beliefs. And therefore, we must test what is truth and we must test what is error. And like many, I want to get excited about the things that are going on in Asbury right now. I don't know if you know, y'all have been following the news or Facebook at all. And as a believer, you know, we do want to get excited if we see others coming to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and turning to God in faith and truly repenting of their sin. But I want to look at things like this with a very cautious eye. Uh, because for one, I really haven't had a chance to dive into that and really look closely at what they're being taught, um, maybe what are the influences behind that. But also, too, Scripture calls us to test these things. When we see things like this going on, we need to test them. And the, what is the power behind what we see is uh, what people will call movements of God. Is, is this true? Is this authentic? And it's not that, you know, right now I'm prepared to really give you a, a decision on what that is because like I say, I've just heard of it. I haven't really looked into it deeply. But if someone comes to you saying this is real, then say, okay, well, let's, let's test it against the scriptures. Let's see what, what the Bible tells us. John is writing to those who were combating the false teaching of Gnosticism. 
And it was spreading rapidly during this time. A couple of times already we've looked at some of the error that Gnosticism promoted. But here are just a few of their beliefs to remind us why the Holy Spirit through John is setting up a test for us to give to decide whether something is an error, whether it is of truth. So a couple of beliefs of the Gnostics is that they denied the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he actually came physically in the flesh. The Son of God come to dwell with man um, for the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 is a very clear uh, message of his incarnation, his coming in the flesh, but yet a Gnostic would deny that Jesus actually came in the flesh. And yes, we have many false teachers who still promote this today. You could say that Gnosticism, maybe under different forms or under different headings, is still alive and well today. They would also deny that, uh, uh, because they deny that Jesus came in the flesh, uh, they would deny that he was born of a virgin, which is one of the tenets of our faith, of our Christian faith. Uh, Gnostics would deny that Jesus was our substitutionary atonement on the cross because if he wasn't in the flesh and he didn't live a perfect life, then he wasn't a satisfactory atonement for our sins. So you can just see how this would build to deny the one thing that Jesus came in the flesh is to then have to deny these other things that we know that the Bible states very clearly is the Jesus of the Bible. But Gnostics were refuting these things. They claimed he was a created being, this is a major tenet of, of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. Those who have studied Gnosticism say that they believe that Jesus was one of a series of emanations proceeding from God to man and that he was the highest of this series of emanations. You may have been thinking in your mind as I was listing out those um, tenets or the beliefs of Gnosticism, maybe in your own mind you're saying, well, there's, there's these religions that promote themselves as truth, yet they teach things like this. They teach that God was, Jesus was a created being, that he wasn't co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that he wasn't a co-laborer in the beginning during creation. And if you're going to hold that he didn't come in the flesh, then you have to deny all these other things about him. They had a very limited and distorted view of Jesus being God's special revelation or communication to us. They claimed to have a private revelation or a special word from God, revelation from him that only they knew about and you needed to listen to him, to them. And it, and it sounds silly, we don't think that we could stumble into something like this, but yet many were stumbling and many still stumble today into this form of error. Therefore, we must continually have our spiritual guard up because over and over again, not just in John's writing, but throughout the scripture, we are told that these deceivers, these spirits of error will come those empowered by this evil influence. Let's come back to it again, just uh, refresh ourselves with this text. Verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Paul tells us there is a spiritual war that is being waged. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes of a spiritual battle that is going on around us. 
over the souls of men that we cannot see in a physical way, but he tells us that it is being waged. He says it's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that is why he says we must take up the whole armor of God. The weapons that we need against this attack is found in taking on that spiritual armor daily because of that spiritual battle that is going on. And that is how the attack is going to be for us. We may like to think that we can sometimes just let our guard down for a while. Okay, I'm going on vacation now. Let's, let's leave this at home. You know, let's, let's leave our devotion time at home and our prayer time at home because when I go on vacation, hey, the enemy's going to go on vacation as well. But no, he isn't. He's always active. Him and his minions, if you will, are always at work trying to deceive Outside of the sword of the Spirit, if you're thinking about that armor of God, um, outside the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, all of the other armor that is described in Ephesians 6 is defensive, and we need all of it. But when we try to discern the truth, discern truth from error, what better tool, what better weapon that we have than the Word of God in order to do that? It is His truth to us. It is all-sufficient. It is inspired of God. It is without error. And part of my teachings to the pastors in Tanzania will be just exactly about that. We're going to go through several courses on bibliology and why we must hold to solid teaching from the scriptures and not deviate from it. Because when we do, it allows the spirit of error to have influence over us and to manipulate and deceive and to draw us away in error. And the world will tell us that no one should follow some ancient manuscript that is full of fairy tales and look to it to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And we can see that that has led to what is going on in our world today. I mean, I do not see things getting any better for us, especially as Christians. You just see the chaos and you see the decay of society just kind of rolling along and falling further and further into sin and into immorality. And we know that it's supposed to happen so we shouldn't be surprised by it. But when we see these things happening, it's why we all the more need to anchor ourselves to the word of God. You know, if a ship is anchored along a rocky shoreline and you take up that anchor, it's going to be crashed up on the rocks and it's going to be destroyed. And so is the one who is not anchoring themselves to God's word. You know, Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 4.14, uh, not to be like those who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So while we get this warning about these other spirits or spirits of error, how do we discern them? You know, we've already talked about it and we filter it through the word of God. But here we're going to get some words from John in, in how he is testing this era of Gnosticism. But this had to be on the minds of those that John was writing to. Okay, John, you've told us not to do this. You told us to test it. How do we test them? Because wrong messages, they can sure sound good. I'm sure the Gnostics were very intellectual. They were very good at uh, trying to twist things around and fit them into their ideologies and their religious practices, maybe even taking 
scripture out of context or using the apostolic word at that time and the Old Testament scripture and taking things out of context to try and uphold this false tenet. It could have been a number of different things, but you know, you see many, many charismatic personalities that are good, uh, really good at getting people to listen to them. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a charismatic personality, you know, one who is outgoing, you know, one who carries themselves well and has confidence in front of people, but yet there are those who would take that, that gift or that talent and they would use it to influence people and draw them away from the truth. They, they may speak things that sound good to the ears. They may be very friendly with people. They get excited about what they are saying. And before you know it, you don't even realize that you have been drawn into their deception and you're now being led along a path of error. Test it. Test these things. First Thessalonians five nineteen through 21, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So it's not just John that calls us to test things. It's in Paul's writings as well. We can see it um, insinuate throughout Scripture. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing to test things, and it is a good thing if you are a, a pastor or a teacher or you are doing any kind of teaching from God's Word, is that people are testing you. You, sh- you should want this for yourself. If someone gets offended by your wanting to test their message against God's Word, then that should tell you something may be wrong. There may be an alarm that should be going off. If they say, how dare you come to me? You know, I, I have a special revelation of God. I got this special word to you. You cannot question it. Taking scripture out of context, I, I think it's David that says, thou shalt not touch, you know, God's anointed and, and thinking that there's some, you know, special person of God. So be cautious and test So I know you already know the answer to this, but the question is, how do we test them? And with what do we test them to see if they really are from God? And the phrase that John uses with test the spirits, that's in the imperative form. So that means that we are to continually do this. It's not just a one-time testing when we are, are reborn and now we think that we're always going to listen to those who are speaking the truth. That's not it. We're to continually be testing this. So always be doing it. And the word used for test is the same word that is used for the testing of metal to see if it it really is true. I don't know if we have any people that do blacksmithing as their hobby and they try to melt down metals. And in order to bring out the pure metal, you have to burn out the impurities, which is the dross, and you scrape it off the top. You continue to burn it until you've, you've tested it in a sense, and now the true metal has surfaced. And that's the type of word that John is using here to discern whether or not those that are speaking from a platform like I am today are really speaking uh, the things that are of God, the things that are of his spirit of truth, the things of his word. So this is sort of the thing that we run them through. The, the fire, if you will, is the word of God to test it to see whether or not the words really are true to burn away anything that is human and then expose if it is truth or if it is error. If there are unseen influences behind every preacher or teacher, as many commentators assume, then the testing should reveal what is power behind their thoughts, what is governing their thoughts, what is governing their words, the words that they're speaking from their platform or their pulpit. 
What is the power behind it? Can you put it through the test and see if it is from God or not? It'll either be from the Holy Spirit who is indwelling the heart of the believer and should be directing the preacher, but that preacher can still steer people into error. You know, myself or, or Ray or Wes or anyone else from behind this pulpit is teaching. Mr. Dietz has come in as a guest. We've had other guest speakers. Um, it doesn't mean that once they get behind this lectern here that automatically they're going to be speaking truth. We, we bring this up often. I think Wes is a little bit more faithful to do it than I am, is that we want to encourage people to be those Bereans who would test everything that they hear against the word of God. When Paul and Silas went into the synagogue to teach from the scriptures, the noble-minded Bereans were those that, they were in Thessalonica, and it says that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And Paul called them noble-minded, or Luke in his writing called them noble-minded. They filtered everything through the word of God. Test them to determine if the human preacher has been taught by God. Has it come from the influence of and teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit? Because a true spirit of God will confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? They will undergo undergird their message with the truth of God. And in doing so, this... These truths should just resonate. You know, I love good topical teaching so long as it is rooted in God's word. However, for me and as a church, we've decided that the majority of our teaching is going to be expository. You know, one book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we want to discern um, and not get off the path through, through topical studies that might cause us to wander. Um, it helps us stay that straight line and, and guide us. It doesn't mean that we're, uh, we're not going to be subject to error, but um, it is something to anchor ourselves to because it is God's word and it's not just me standing on a soapbox giving you my opinion about something. We could do that, but uh, <laughs> I would be leading you in error. Not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So in the Old Testament, we also have a very similar test that was given, and it was for the prophet. So to know whether or not a prophet was really speaking from the power and the influence of God, that their words would be tested, their prophecy would be tested. And if it didn't prove to be true, there was a severe, severe consequence, and they were to be killed. Every one of the prophecies that they said had to be fulfilled in order for them to be declared a true prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded them to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. But praise God that for us today, we have God's prophecy, his instruction for our lives already written down in his holy word in the scriptures. And it has stood the test of time and we affirm it as God's infallible word. And that is why today, if some so-called prophet 
comes to us saying they have a special revelation or they have a vision or they have a dream or whatever from God and it does not pass the evaluation through God's word, then we need to toss it aside. We need to toss it out. I wonder how many of those that claim to be prophets today actually understand what God's scripture says about a prophet. There is so much responsibility in bringing a message to others even today. You know, we have the New Testament fulfillment, the law fulfilled in Christ, but it doesn't mean that his law has gone away. There is the Old Testament that is still there for us, that is still there for our instruction. But praise be to God that now we have his, his full instruction, the intended for our betterment and our growth in Christ through his written word. And we don't need to trust in man's word, trust in the prophets. We go to his word to discern what is truth and what is error. But we still are to be about equipping the saints and that why some are called to be preachers, some are called to be teachers. But with that comes a great responsibility. In James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. In the Gospel of Mark, there's this profound warning from Jesus about those who would lead others into error by their teaching. Mark 9.42, whoever calls one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. He's not just talking about children here. He's talking about those who are believers, those who are young in their faith. Anyway, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If someone feels called to teach, I would say, you know, pray and discern. And pray some more and discern some more and look to God's word to guide you because there is a lot of severity that comes with it. There's a lot of repercussions, but it is a great thing to be called to teach and preach God's word. I'm not trying to tell you you need to just walk away, Ray, just stay in your seat, you know. <laughs> we, we cling to the scriptures and be obedient to God, but be sure it is his Holy Spirit that is calling you, that it is the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error. We are warned and we are commanded to discern or to test. And then John, of course, gives us a test. And I know I've already spoken around this and probably gotten way ahead in my notes. There's a little bit more to this. It says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So that is the test here. What do these spirits say about Jesus? You know, the study of Jesus and his life and his ministry, his work, is called Christology. What is, what is their Christology? Do they confess that he has come in the flesh? And this, of course, would have been the key litmus test for who was a Gnostic and who was not. Remember, we talked already about what the Gnostics held to. They didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. So what better way to test whether they're a Gnostic or not than to ask them, do you believe that Jesus came in the flesh? And their response right there will lead you to the conclusion of if they are in error, if they really are in truth. And then that would build upon things. But the key foundation is, do you believe that Christ came in the flesh? To deny that he came in the flesh is to deny many of the other things that the Bible teaches us about Christ's person and work as it's shown to us in the scriptures. And you would have to almost deny everything else about him if you believe that he didn't come in the flesh. You would have to deny his virgin birth. Uh, you would have to deny his being tempted in all things as we are. You would have to deny his sacrificial death upon the cross. 
You would have to deny his resurrection and ascension. You would really have to deny that he was now before at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning. All these things you would have to deny in order to align with he didn't come in the flesh. That is really what the Gnostics teach and that's what many teach in error today. John has already opened with statements that kind of flesh this out a little bit better and this is how he began his letter he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon what does he say we have touched with our hands Jesus in the flesh and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ so foundational foundational to our faith is that jesus christ that he is co-eternal that he is co-laborer with god the father and god the holy spirit from the beginning the second person of the godhead he became flesh for his for us for his ministry on this earth to show that he could overcome all sin and temptation and still be holy without sin. He came to, to complete his atoning work upon the cross to fulfill God's divine plan of redemption set up from the beginning of time, but he has always existed and he is not merely a created being contrary to what many false religions today would teach about him. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? That is foundational. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of head nods, so you just, there you go. that's the first question. Good. That's, that's directly from Scripture. <laughs> Verse 4, and I said this is where we're going to end today. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we can take great courage from this verse. Again, John uses little children. This is an endearing term, and it's used to address the believer those who are a child of God. But I want you to look back over with me some of the verses that we have read and see how often John uses this phrase, from God, these two words. As, you, as we read through it, you may not catch it, but here in verse four, he says, little children, you are from God. But look at back at verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Okay, there's, there's the first time it happens. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here's verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is what? From God. Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. And now verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he is in you is greater than he is in the world. And you get over to verse 6, there's another from God there. So it's interesting, this is used and used so often, but I think it is used to stress the importance of being born again, to be born of God, to be deemed from God. Because being from God is to be born of him. As John writes in his gospel, uh, first chapter, verses 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's how we are deemed from God. And that's a tremendous miracle that has happened in our salvation such that we could be made children of God. 
not of our own doing, not by works lest any man should boast, but through his amazing grace by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That was done on our behalf so that we might be from God. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome the world. Contrary to that, from him that we saw four times already in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, we have the false teachers and the evil forces behind their teaching, which are described from the world. So look a little bit ahead in verse 5. It says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We've looked at a contrast of a lot of different phrasing that John uses, what it is to be a child of God. If you aren't a child of God, who are you a child of? You're a child of the enemy. Here, if you are not from God, then you are from the world. It's very black and white for us. God puts it very simply. But you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the tense that is used to say that the believer has overcome these spirits of error is that it has already been done. That Christ's atoning work on the cross put an end to the enemy's grip upon us. But the influence of false teachers is still out there. That's why we are commanded, we're charged to test these spirits. There are still those drawing many after their teachings. Our adversary, the devil, he is, he is powerful. He's not this stumbling buffoon that cartoons make him out to be with the horns and the little pointed tail. He masquerades as an angel of light. He, he can make himself look really good. He has a false image out there, but once you're drawn in, you can be walking in error without even knowing it. We can only come overcome by the one who is greater in us. And without the new birth, without being of God, then we don't have the capacity to understand and discern the word of God. That capacity to have the, the Holy Spirit, the teacher is not within us, just as Stephen was describing to the children, is that the Holy Spirit comes in and, and teaches us and opens up the scriptures to understanding, but without the influence of the Holy Spirit, the capacity to understand really isn't there. An unregenerate person is incapable of understanding or obeying God's truth. Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews, John eight forty three, and then 47, he says, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, do not hear them because you are not, because you are not of God. Jesus was using here, here, in the same, here, here. He was using here in the same way that John uses listen in verse six. You know, it refers to hearing in the sense of both understanding it and also obeying it. That it isn't just giving an assent to the things of God and saying, yes, this is of God, but then going your own way and doing your own thing. But it is both the hearing of it and is the obeying of it. And my prayer is that we can all say that we are from God, that we all have an overcoming life that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit of truth, is greater than he who is in the world. We can sometimes be intimidated by those who, with their words, they try to show themselves to be intellectually superior, but we are not trying to win the battle of intellectualism 
or how many big vocabulary words we know, but we have been given the ability to discern and avoid the errors of false teachers with God's holy word. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for the taking of the Lord's Supper. God, we just come to you, Lord, and we, we thank you for your word that is truth to us. And God, I pray that you help us to anchor ourselves to it, that we don't take a vacation from it because we know that the enemy is out there seeking to destroy and devour and draw people away and help us to anchor ourselves and not be like a ship that is on the shoreline without an anchor that will be tossed to and fro and eventually crash against the rocks and be destroyed. We want to be firm in our faith. We want to hold true to it, God. We recognize there is another battle that is being waged, not in physical forces, but Lord, in the spiritual realm. And we ask for you to help us in that, God, because we can't see it, but you see it and you know everything about it and you know what will protect our hearts. So help us as we, as we look to things in this world that appear to be of you, let us always test them and discern what they are through your word and only cling to what is good, as Paul would tell us to test everything and cling to what is good, and we know what is good because you've already given that to us in your word. So help us as we anchor ourselves to that, uh, to not be uh, tossed about in this world, God, but to be able to influence this world for the cause of Christ and for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.